Hi, everyone. Welcome to Mission and Meaning, a monthly podcast that brings you inside the important mission-related learning and work happening around our Sacred Heart community. I'm your host, Ben Sue, Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Access, and a member of the Office of Mission, Culture, and Strategy here at Sacred Heart Schools Atherton. Each month, we'll bring you a different member from the school community to share about the ways in which they've been reflecting on and helping to deepen our mission. Welcome to our second season of the podcast. And for this new season, I'm excited to talk about a couple of important changes. First, I'll no longer be hosting by myself. No, you won't. (laughs) But I'm now co-hosting with Kate Matroni-Fish, our school's new director of mission and ministry. And who, like me, is a member of the Office of Mission, Culture, and Strategy, or OMCS. Kate and my work are importantly connected. Diversity, equity, inclusion, and access offers us a set of perspectives and ways by which to live out our Sacred Heart mission. And just as importantly, our mission frames and informs our school's approach to DEIA. I'm grateful to be working so closely with Kate this year and our care for the school. Having Kate as a co-host also helps us with another important change to the podcast. This year, we'll try out a more flexible format with a focus on open dialogue between Kate and me, and also among the guests who will be joining us. And to better connect with our listeners who can't be live with us, we'll begin each episode with a framing quote or question, and we'll end with a closing reflection. Last year, our schools and our podcast theme was restorative justice, and this year, our theme is belonging. It ties in really well with last year's theme and our school's ongoing work on integrating restorative justice practices as a way in which we work toward belonging and also restore belonging whenever it may be harmed. And to get us started today, I'll offer us a quote, which we'll return to later in the podcast. This quote comes from the 2015 Society of the Sacred Heart International Heads of School Conference, and it reads, We want our students to be the best for the world, not just the best in the world. And as we get started with this episode in our new season, welcome, Kate. Thank you so much, Ben. I'm excited to be here. You have a new role, but you've been at Sacred Heart for a while, and I'd love to give you the chance to introduce yourself and some of the identities and roles that you've had in our Sacred Heart community. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. So yeah, I've been here. This is now my eighth year here at Sacred Heart. Prior to this, I've actually been teaching for 13 years now. Prior to this, I was down at Notre Dame in San Jose, very different school, you know, all girls, small, in the heart of San Jose. And my roots are really in Redwood City. I grew up, was born and raised in Redwood City, and really wanted to be within my own home community. I've been doing a lot of work throughout Redwood City, working with our library programs, working with our recreation programs, things like that. And and so coming back home to this area was really key and important for me. And so I happened upon the job posting and uh, for a religious studies teacher and a campus minister in retreats. And that's kind of really my background um, and area in that work. I'm also on the opposite side of campus as well. Even though I started at the prep, I'm also a parent here. I have a kindergartner and I have a fifth grader. So it's been really exciting to shift into this role and have a piece, you know, kind of hold a piece of the puzzle that my kids are involved in on a regular basis and being able to see that piece of it, right? I'm in that lovely stage of tweendom with my oldest where she gets in the car and how was your day? And I get grunts and that was fine so it's nice to be able to kind of enter in that way 
um, slightly differently. Yeah, thanks for sharing all that, Kate. And I think it's really important that you've held all these roles in the campus and have bring that understanding to this role you have now. And I'm just curious, like growing up, so whether as a child in your family, maybe even academically, the things you've studied, or even your personal experiences, how do you think some of those parts of your life have prepared you for the role you've just started here? Yeah, I think one of the jokes that we make in our family is that, and anytime you know, I talk with people about my background is, I was kind of born into this. So my mom was the director of religious education for our parish, St. Matthias, in Redwood City for many, many years. My dad was involved in campus ministry, specifically in retreats um, at Midi, where he still works. And I went to to high school down there. And so we kind of just joke like, you know, there's cradle Catholic and then there's me everything Catholic. And so I was just kind of born into this particular way of being in the world and thinking about the world kind of through a sacramental lens, thinking about communities differently. Every community that I was a part of, whether it be through the Midi community or my parish community, we are very deep in that community and very connected in that community. It was one of those things that I have a very typical trajectory of kind of my relationship within the church that, you know, started strong as a kid, started questioning some things in high school and college, moved away from the church for a little bit, funny enough, at a Jesuit school in grad school, moving away from the church, being encouraged to ask those questions and to engage in kind of that intellectual background that is the Catholic faith tradition and and encouraged to ask those questions, which then eventually led me back to the church. Again, a very typical, so any of those parents out there that are worrying that, oh, my child is moving away from the church, yeah, probably. That's probably going to happen. And it's about allowing that space to question. And so then later in life, when my husband and I decided to get married and start a family and ask some of those questions of ourselves of where do we fit in all of this? What do we want to offer our children? That was the opportunity for us to kind of re-enter and recognizing both the, the challenges but the beauty of the Catholic faith tradition and and to help our children be able to navigate that um, was really important for us. And this position uh, here at Sacred Heart that I've now entered into as you know director of mission and ministry is really an opportunity for me to bring both those life experiences, my background as a teacher, my background knowledge in child development and faith development, um, my particular area of interest, which is sociology and culture, and seeing how we can create strong cultures rooted in inclusion, rooted in belonging, because ultimately that was Jesus's whole message. Everybody gets to come to the table. So that's been, you know, that kind of piece of creating cultures of inclusivity, creating cultures of belonging. That's what really excites me about this particular role and the work that I get to do. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Kate. And um, I know I opened by opened the podcast by mentioning how fortunate and grateful I am to be working with you this year. And I also mentioned that both of us are located within the Office of Mission, Culture, and Strategy. And just for our listeners out there who might not have that context, there's a reason why that is. 
One, as Kate has mentioned, our, our work is about belonging, inclusion, is about living out the mission of our, our school and values that we have. And to offer you some background, uh, the Office of Mission, Culture, and Strategy is a relatively new office at our school. I think it's about three or four years old now, but it's also taken different forms in, in the past. And from the very beginning, DEIA work, even before this term was a popular term or even before my office was created, this work has been important to our school. Uh, we've had a college access program called Sophie Scholars. We've been dedicated to diversity and access, financial aid, non-tuition related financial aid. And this has always, again, been linked to our mission. And there've been a lot of individuals in the past, listeners are probably familiar with like James Everett, Elaine Berry, Sister Copeland, Sally Bench Trembath, and Cecilia Sobovaro. So some folks who are still with us who over the years have made that connection between DEIA work and, and the mission. And I'd love to ask you, why do you see that as so integral, that DEIA work is a way in which we live out maybe a deeper yearning and calling? You know, I always tell people that Jesus was the first DEIA director. His entire mission was you've got a guy that, you know, if we go to the historical person of Jesus, he was an outcast. He grew up in Galilee, which was in the north. This was an area where people were seen as less than, that were seen as taking on kind of the Roman traditions and the Hellenistic traditions of the time. They were really up in the north seen as different. And to the extent that if Galileans came to the rest of us, that they will harm us. They will harm our realities in some way. They will make us unclean. And that has a lot of historical background to it and, and why that was. And Jesus said, get over it. We are all equal within God's eyes. And he went to the tax collectors and hung out with them. He hung out with the Pharisees. He hung out with the people at the time that were seen as the worst of the worst and invited them in and invited them to the table and not out of a space of because we have to or it's the nice thing to do. It's no, God is within each and every person. For us to say that access that inclusion are not a part of the mission is just incorrect. That's all that Jesus's mission was about. The idea of DEIA and mission being separate just, it, it quite frankly, just kind of boggles my mind um, because that was the work. And that was the work that the RSCJ continued to do. A lot of people don't know that the history of our schools was that at the time we had schools that were available to, you know, very wealthy families, but also to very poor families and that all children had access, you know, for the sake of one child, we are going to make sure that there is access to this excellent level of education. And so not only is it a part of the Christian message, it's a part of the the work and the mission of the RSCJ from the very beginning. And today it looks different. It looks different than how it has in the past because we are starting to understand more deeply what belonging actually means. It's not just about 
you know, you can come but know your place. It's about fundamentally shifting and changing the structure of the institution to make sure that all people are seen within that institution. Yeah, and I, I think that's super important. That's something, this kind of structural systemic work is something that was named in our 2020 revision to the goals and criteria. Yep. It was also something specifically named by our board of trustees following the events of the summer of 2020, yep. when the board of trustees made a declaration of their commitment to anti-racism and also established the office I'm in now. Mm-hmm. The thought about belonging, which is about our individual experiences, but for us is about the work we do together and to think about the structures we have in place, the processes we have in place. I'm going to give you a definition. It, it doesn't have to be. I love en- definitions. The end all definition of what belonging is. But I'd love, um, as I read it, for you to maybe comment on what speaks to you. And so here's the definition belonging, the degree to which members of a community are able to thrive and to feel valued, cared for, and respected. The thing that's really jumping out to me, in the past I've taught social ethics, that's really my kind of area. One of the things we talk about with the students is the difference between survival and thrival, mm-hmm. right? That we've got our basic survival needs. Do I have shelter? Do I have food? Do I have you know, medicine? Do I have all of those things, right? Great, you can make it to the next day. But ultimately is basic survival that I can just get to the next day Is that what God is really calling for each of us to be in? And so that piece around thrival, when we're talking about belonging and we're talking about this idea that everyone is seen, everyone is heard, everyone is recognized as being a bearer of God, if we're not thriving, then we're not living up to all that we are being called to be. And so... That's that's kind of the piece within that piece of belonging that I always go back to is, are we setting up our students, our families, our faculty and staff, right? all people that are part of our institution, are we structuring ourselves to allow for optimal thriving? And and it's it's a balancing act too, right? It's not to say that like we're all going to be like jumping around in circles, playing ukuleles out of joy at every moment of the day. Of course not. There's going to be stuff that comes up. It's going to be tough sometimes. But when we start looking at thrival as either you have it or you don't, or that there's only a certain amount of thrival to go around, like it's pieces of a pie. No, and and that thrival is something that we'll have days where we feel more fulfilled and less fulfilled. That's the nature of life. But that ultimately, overall, that we have set ourselves up in a way and structured ourselves in a way that allows each person to get to that point is something that I think a lot about. Yeah, and for me, um, that word thriving or thrival is really important. I think a lot of times we think about our needs in terms of what we receive, what you named as uh, the things we need for survival, food, shelter, maybe a hug once in a while. And for me, thriving is both what we need to receive, but also our ability to give. Right, like we're inherently creative people. We have gifts, we have desires. We're always connected to other people. And even in our educational mission that we're helping our young people lay the foundation for a meaningful life. And I really do believe what a meaningful life is, 
is a life lived giving of one's passions and one's one's gifts. And I think that's really important. Um, for example, we've over the last few years, we've launched affinity spaces at mm-hmm. the prep. And part of that is making sure that students of different identities or beliefs and, and backgrounds, they have a space where they're among people who more readily understand and support. And sometimes it might even be a safe space that students aren't able to find outside. Mm-hmm. But a really key part of our affinity space program at the high school and definitely increasingly at the middle school is that we want students to think about what they can give to the community. So students, like last week, we are, by the way, uh, at the end of September when we're recording this, but last week we had our Latinx celebration at the prep, Mm -hmm. which involved a food festival. It was delicious. And (laughs) also a community life gathering that students envisioned and led for the community, of course, um, aided by adults in the community. And that for me is, is, is thriving in, in being able to share a part of your life that is important with others in spreading that joy and spreading that love to other people. Well, and that's the interesting thing, which is when we talk about belonging, oftentimes people will want to say, we have to find the similarities. Differences, put those to the side. And I think that that's where we actually get an opportunity especially this year, to kind of re-envision that, that actually oftentimes it's not about saying we're only focusing on the common and differences put away. It's saying, no, we're going to find the commonalities and we're going to celebrate the differences as well because that leads to a bigger picture, a fuller picture, more opportunities. And that we can both hold that which is in common and celebrate that which is different, learn from it, appreciate, share, engage, because part of belonging is being able to come with all of the pieces of yourself and be loved for those pieces, whether they fit the quote-unquote package or not. Maybe then we have to think about what's, what's the package we're putting forward and does it have space for all people to be within that? And if not, then we say, okay, how do we make sure that our students are finding common space but also able to celebrate that which makes them unique, right? Many parts, one body. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. I know we've talked about that before, that we are all essential in mm-hmm. our, our difference. And I think about that not just in terms of our students, but also what we do for one another as adults. Mm-hmm. Um, we have many employees, many parents and family members in the community, and ultimately in our care for one another and working towards one another's belonging. And this can be in an interpersonal interaction. This can be the systemic work that we do together. What we're really hoping to do is just to create the conditions by which others are able to give more fully of themselves. Yeah. And knowing that that benefits the entire community. Like you mentioned, we all have different gifts and perspectives that enrich who we are collectively. And I really do believe that our ability to give is a, also a real important human need, not only to be loved, but also to, to give love of the places that are most important to us. Yeah, it's, it's part of being human. I think that it's easy for us to forget some of those like basic needs of being human. And part of that is being social. 
And when we feel love, we're able to give love, right? That old saying of like, you know, you can't love someone else till you love yourself, you know, those types of things. It is about that communal exchange. And we have a lot of reasons in our world to say that love doesn't exist. But I think that's one of the beautiful things that Sacred Heart does is that, you know, St. Madeline Sophie was coming out of a time when the French Revolution was happening. No one was able to, you know, is this mean exacting God? And and if you didn't follow this and, and if you even if you followed faith, if you had faith at all, you could end up dead. Right. Like this was a time of utter chaos. And within all of that chaos, St. Madeline Sophie said, no, I know. I know there's something else going on here. There's a deeper level. There's a deeper love that's there and that's present. And we are still doing that today. I was just talking with my oldest daughter the other day and she was learning about St. Madeline Sophie in class and she goes, it kind of feels a little bit like what was happening then that there's like all these reasons to like say that the world is terrible and horrible and icky. And yet that's hopefully what we're doing as a Sacred Heart School is to say there is a different way of looking at the world that even in all of that icky yuck, that we then that's a scientific term the icky yuck obviously but within all of that to be able to say like no we are choosing a different narrative and we are going to be a part of creating that narrative we are going to teach our students leadership to be able to say no we're choosing something else for this and so you know one of the traditions on this campus is talking about things as countercultural. I would almost make the argument is that the work we're trying to do is transformative rather than countercultural is to say this is the culture and these are some of the challenges and you know what we're not gonna sit idly by and let that be the dominant narrative. We are gonna do something about that. We're gonna transform ourselves and we're gonna transform what we see because we know that there's goodness within that. We just got to peel back some of those layers to engage in that. You know, and you're mentioning some of the conditions, that, the historical conditions that were present during the founding of Sacred Heart Schools. And maybe in a lot of ways, our, our current historical context in the U.S. or even worldwide doesn't feel that different. Yeah. Things do feel contentious and often at moments of crisis. And it can be easy to settle into these divides yeah and I like what you said about transformational that as hard as it is uh, we are surrounded by a larger culture and each of us we all have our own biases I say this as the DEIA director it's true (laughs) and at the same time we're we're striving for something more something that guarantees the belonging of all people recognizing that diversity and differences brings a lot of gifts and blessings and perspectives, but it's also really, really hard, especially when on the surface, perspectives don't seem to align as well as we think they do. And there are things at stake too in our our beliefs. So recognizing all of that, yet calling our students, calling ourselves to strive for something more, which is the belonging of all people, which is the ability of all people, whatever their histories, their backgrounds, their beliefs, their identities, and their gifts and their challenges, the ability for all people to find belonging, to thrive, to be seen, to be recognized, to be supported in what they have to give to this world. And just as important now as it ever was, definitely. I'm going to return us to that opening quote, and I would love 
after this conversation on, on belonging, I would love to hear your perspective on it. And again, it was a quote from a 2015 conference of Sacred Heart International Heads of Schools. And I'll read that quote one more time. We want our students to be the best for the world, not just the best in the world. So as I think about that quote, I think about my own children. I'm going to take you back to a few years ago. My daughter, my eldest daughter, was about maybe a year and a half, two years. And she was a big time sand eater. She loved... Like I don't, literally sand like eater. Like literally sand. Okay. I didn't like, know if that was oh, code no. for something. No, okay. no, no codes. Full on, just pails full of sand. And at the time, I, I named that, we'll come back to that. At the time, there was a Time article magazine, and on the front cover, it was like the return of the average child. You know, like more and more parents are wanting to have a normal kid. You don't need the chess expert. You don't need this. So I'm telling a friend this. We're at a play date. I'm telling this friend, and I go, oh my gosh, I am so excited for this. I'm excited for the return of the average child. Let kids be kids. And my friend's husband goes, well, it's a good thing because your kid's over there just pounding sand right now. So glad that you want an average kid. And that holds such a place of just like happiness for me to have the sand eater. Like, I'm so glad that I have the sand eater because for good and for ill, like my kid is who she is. Ultimately, I think about Am I letting my children be their full, authentic selves? Is that kid that's standing in front of me now who's 11 years old, like, am I still accepting my little sand eater exactly how she was with her buckets full of sand? And, you know, when she gets into her tween drama or my youngest who's in kindergarten and she's completely lost her mind, and like, am I meeting my kids where they're at? And that's what I think about with this quote is ultimately asking that question, like, are we as parents, as teachers, as peers meeting each other in our full authentic selves and letting that develop how it will? And are we helping them to do that for each other like we all know we talk about like oh kids can be mean like of course they can like humans can be mean and are we setting up our institution the world that our kids are walking through quite frankly they're spending more time here than they are at home so are we as an institution meeting our children exactly where they're at are we as parents meeting our children where they're at are we as just members of society teaching our kids that, you know what, like we don't need you to be the next famous fill in the blank of celebrity of whoever you want it to be. I don't really know celebrities all that well. Do we need them to be that guy or do we need them to be exactly who God made them to be? Mm -hmm. Right. That's kind of what I go back to. And, and that's the work that I'm really excited to be entering into and thinking really intentionally about how we do that from the perspective of our mission, how we do that from the perspective of faith development, and how we do that from, you know, a cultural perspective of what it means to be part of that sacred heart world. And are we allowing them or even helping them be who God made them to be? 
And maybe that might be the best in the world in certain aspects, like your ability to eat sand. Oh, she was a champion. Yep, exactly. And it may not be, but I think for me, that, that first half, we want our students to be the best for the world. I'm no longer teaching now. I'm in administration. But in my work with young people, I've wanted them to have this sense of agency and responsibility that they have something to give, and it may not be the same as someone, what someone else has to give. Each of them has something to give to this world and to other people. And I think as Sacred Heart educators especially, it's for us to recognize how God made each person in a beautiful way that may not be the same as someone, how someone else has been made or their gifts, and yet every person has a role to play. And our ability to play those roles to care for the world is really important for our thriving. We need it all. Yeah. We need the artists, we need the athletes, we need the robotics friends, we need we need all those pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, and that's, I think, even more important in the area in which we live, which is surrounded by all kinds of success, but maybe success not as widely defined as might be helpful, especially to young people finding their place in the world, that our ability to help students recognize their own gifts and their own beauty and to grow in that is some of our really important work at this moment in this place. Thank you, Kate. Any closing words before I officially close out this podcast episode? I'm just excited to to be joining and uh, I'm excited to get to know all of you as listeners and uh, we want to hear from you, know what you guys want to be hearing about. And yeah, I think that's where we're at. All right. Thank you, Kate. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. And also, like I said before, I'm super thankful to be working closely with you this year and into the future. So thank you for listening to our first episode of Mission and Meaning for our second season. Make sure you're subscribed. We do release new episodes each month. And please tune in the next time when we'll talk about something we've mentioned in this podcast, which is the development of our student affinity spaces over the last few years. If you have any questions or thoughts, please reach out to Kate and me and the Office of Mission, Culture, and Strategy at omcs at shschools.org.